This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Pick 6 Podcast, CBS Sports Daily NFL Podcast. I'm Will Brinson. I'm your host. It is Friday, May 15th. We're halfway home through the month of May. Although at this point, calendars no longer exist. Time is not a thing. Days of the week no longer uh, perpetuate the universe. You can tell it's a Friday because I'm feeling philosophical. Um we're going to break down the NFC and AFC West win totals and futures with Sean Wagner McGuff. Uh, make sure to check out tons of gambling week content. Although every week on the Pick Six podcast is gambling week, uh, really, but this is an actual theme gambling week. Debo did a great job. Producer Debo did a great job uh, plotting it out. We got all the other divisions in the feed now. We also have a discussion with Jonathan Jones, uh, uh talking about what what the world could look like, what the NFL world could look like if there are no fans in stands. Uh, even if there are no fans, we still expect games to be played. If games are being played, that means you're playing fantasy football. And if you're playing fantasy football, you better be subscribing to the Fantasy Football Today podcast. Of course, this week you won't be getting draft advice. You will be taking a little trip in the way back machine. You might remember when uh, you won your league with LT not Lawrence Taylor, LDT in 2006, or maybe Randy Moss in 2007. Were you the one who bought into Peyton Hillis after his big season? Whoops. All this week, the Fantasy Football Today podcast has turned into Fantasy Football Yesterday. They're looking back at the best and worst seasons of the last 20-plus years of fantasy football, the Mount Rushmores at each position, the biggest breakouts and busts, and all the best memories from fantasy football since the late 90s. We live it this week for five episodes with fantasy football yesterday that you don't really need to listen to the day of the release. Like, you know, you can just, it's evergreen, baby. Pop it in your uh, podcast and check it out on the fantasy football today podcast. We're available wherever you find the pick six pod. Uh, Sean Wagner McGuff, you know, so we're probably supposed to dive right into the wind total, Sean, but you're a fantasy, uh, you're a fantasy guy. We, we talk fantasy all the time. Um, we go to each other for advice on Sunday mornings. Usually you steer me in the wrong direction. I lose my games and get mad at you. Uh, but I'm curious, what, do you have a memorable bust or breakout or like a great draft pick that you've made? I don't know sure when you started playing. I actually started playing really late. I was like the football fan for most of my life who didn't play fantasy. Hmm. I think my first season was like 2010. Um, I remember it was with me and my high school friends and we didn't know what they didn't know what they were doing. And I actually did a lot of research and I got like Adrian Peterson with the sixth overall pick because like they took a bunch of quarterbacks like Aaron Rodgers and then all that didn't realize the positional value. The, the biggest best pick I ever made was picking up David Johnson on waivers his rookie season because he came on at the end of that season and won me a title. And then I was going to say the one outlier breakout I remember vividly that didn't impact me was in 2015, Gary Barnage went for over a thousand yards in nine touchdowns. And I was in the keeper league at that point. 
and someone used one of their four keepers on Gary Barnage, thinking they had. He was 30 years old at the time, but they thought they just had an advantage at the tight end position. And he played one more year in the NFL and hasn't played ever since. And he had 612 yards and two touchdowns. That is absolutely superb. Um, I will say that the, uh, and I think that this harkens sort of to the change in, in what's happened with fantasy football. Like I haven't won a title in my main league in fantasy football in like, it might be like eight years now. Um, it's embarrassing. It, I routinely get ridiculed for it, uh, because, you know, I write about football professionally by one of my, one of my best friends, Nathan, uh, won like four out of the last five years. Uh, but I had a hot, I had a really great streak there in, um, I think I won three straight titles in like 07 or maybe like 08 to 2010. And, uh, notably, I remember that and the same sort of thing that you're talking about, like, Back in the day, you could find great value, uh, with running, like people just, people just didn't know what they were doing, you know, like they just didn't know. And, um, so in 2009, I won a title when I picked up a, uh, fairly, you know, underutilized, only had one, uh, well, only had two carry, two games with more than 18 carries in his entire, or more than 15 carries in his entire career at that point. Young running back named Jamal Charles. I picked him up off waivers down the stretch in 2009, and uh, he went off in the final four games of the 2009 season. He compiled 658 yards. That's an average of 164.5 yards per game, uh, four touchdowns, led it up, was great in the passing game. And then in 2010, I grabbed him in the third round because that's just how it worked. People didn't, people didn't get hyped. Running backs didn't get hyped up and pushed up the board. Uh, and I grabbed, uh, Jamal Charles in round, uh, three and then LaShawn McCoy, a second year running back in, uh, <laughs> in Andy Reid's system in Philadelphia in the fifth round. And I obliterated people because like Jamal Charles went for, uh, I think in 2010, what did he do? He had, uh, let's see, a, uh, oh yeah, 14, almost 1500 rushing yards. Five touchdowns, five, you know, 500 receiving yards, three touchdowns. And LaShawn McCoy, uh, went off for, you know, he didn't have his greatest year ever, but you know, over a thousand rushing yards and seven, seven touchdowns. So that was a fun year. And I wish that it was still like that. I also won a title with the Damian Tomlinson in 2006. There was a time when like, and you can go listen to the fantasy football day podcast if you want to do this, but like, if you took, like, if you got the number one pick, you were just winning your league. Cause you would take, and this is before you were getting into it, but it was like, you would take LT or Sean Alexander, whichever one it was, <laughs> and you just won your league. Like LT was unstoppable. Yeah. I'm glad you gave Sean Alexander a shout out because I was watching him because I grew up in Seattle, obviously. Watch and him. he was the, I feel like, I don't know if analytics have taken a look at Sean Alexander's production. He was the least impressive productive running back. One of the least productive. Uh- impressive running backs I've seen because he would hit the line of scrimmage so slowly, but that offensive line when they had uh Walter Jones, Steve Hutchinson yep. on that left side, they would just run these like delayed stretches off the left side. He would be so patient, kind of like Le'Veon Bell, I guess. I just remember as a young kid though, not liking him that much because it seemed like he would get stuff for a loss and he would not hit the whole heart and it would bug me so much. Yeah. Um, now I kind of want to go back and like just look and see how I did. Like, I mean, I, I, I want, I mean, it's just so frustrating. It's, it's so much harder to win a fantasy football title in 2020 than it was 10 or 15 years ago, I think, because you just had haves and have nots, um, back then. And now it's like 
everybody's competitive because there's so many players that you can utilize. Not to mention there's just so much more like the fantasy writing, even in the last like eight years since I started playing has yeah, improved so much that everyone is kind of, everyone is well informed because everyone on whatever website can find a column uh, with good information out there because the writing has just gotten so much better over the years. Uh, by the way, in that uh, 2010 season, I actually went 10, three and three, three ties. This is before we use decimal points. Uh, in, in the, oh, I mean, I was playing at an earlier stage where we didn't use decimal points and there would be ties. And by the way, it kind of flies under the radar. 2005, Sean Alexander had 27 touchdowns and 18, almost 1900 yards. If you had him on your fantasy team, you were winning the title. That is absolutely correct. Uh, and for those that don't care, which is everybody, uh, in 2000, uh, no, in 2000, what did I say? I won in 2000, 2009, 2008. What did I win? I can't you would, you would probably know. I, I can't, they all bleed together. I got a ton of fantasy titles. Uh, mostly in baseball. That's my best sport, oddly enough. I'm trying to think of the last time I won this stupid league. It's been so freaking long. I'm winning it this year, Sean. I'm winning it this year. Anyway. Um, and people care less about fantasy as you sort of shift to gambling too. So let's talk gambling. The NFC West over under the San Francisco 49ers. Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Shanahan, over under 10 and a half wins. The over is minus 125. The under plus 105. San Francisco is the favorite to win the division at plus 105. So just over even money. Uh, they're the favorite to win the NFC at three plus 325 and only seven to one to win the Super Bowl. Um, your thoughts on this over under for San Francisco? Yeah, I, I don't like taking the big numbers, even though I always do with like the Ravens and the Chiefs. And I think if you look at the teams with the Super Bowl hangover, uh, it's worrying, but I li- actually like the over and b- strictly because of their three biggest losses. They have found a way, I think, to competently replace them. And they traded to Forrest Buckner. Obviously, I think Javon Kinlaw is going to be a good fit there. And what's different about Kinlaw coming in there is he's not going to be expected, I, I think, to like be the DeForest Buckner necessarily, but they have so many other bodies around Buckner last year that he doesn't have to come in and be the star. He just has to be another guy. And it's a pretty similar line of reasoning for Brandon Ayuk replacing Emmanuel Sanders. I think there's maybe an argument to be made that maybe Ayuk is a better fit for Kyle Shanahan's offense yeah. than even Emmanuel Sanders was, who's a little bit slower, uh, you know, in, in this stage of his career. And then they lost Joe Staley to a retirement, but getting Trent Williams, I think that was probably my second favorite trade in the entire offseason, maybe just behind the DeAndre Hopkins move. And I don't think he's going to need that much time to adjust the Kyle Shanahan system. I, I think he'll be fine there. So I don't think they're going to win 13 games again. I think there's just going to be some natural regression. We always talk about how defenses, it's harder to hold up on a year-to-year basis. But when you look at Kyle Shanahan, and maybe the fact that Jimmy Garoppolo, that was his first full season as a starting quarterback. And it, it, he's been around for so long. We've been talking about him as a legitimate, or as a possible franchise quarterback for so long that you lose sight of the fact that this guy just hasn't played very much. And so I, I think there's actually reason to think he could still be ascending, especially when you look at how he played in the second half of the year. I thought he really took off in that difficult stretch of games in New Orleans against Seattle. He played very well. Yeah, he did. And I think that when you look at the schedule too, I mean, this is a, I mean, like I, I agree that I, to me, Super Bowl hangovers are a concern. I think if you actually dive into it, it's not as bad as 
you might think it would be just because of, you know, you lose a Super Bowl in heartbreaking fashion. But like, certainly we saw the Rams kind of like, we've seen the Rams do it. The Falcons do it. I mean, the Panthers do it. Like sometimes teams are lethargic getting out of the gate after they lose a tough Super Bowl. And that matters if you're taking an over of 10 and a half, especially to me for the 49ers, because if they are going to hit the over, they are going to have to win. I almost think at minimum four of their first five games. They open up with Arizona at home. Then they're at the Jets, at the Giants, presumably with those games seven days apart and in the exact same stadium. They will be staying in the greater New York metropolitan tri-state area. Uh, then they get the Eagles at home on Sunday night in week four, the Dolphins at home in week five, and the Rams at home on Sunday night in week six. Um that I think that is a viable six and zero start if they come out of the gates crisp and ready to play. And Brandon Ayuk and Trent Williams are on the same page as it relates, and Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy. Like I, I think they could li- easily jump out to a six and zero start. And if they do that, they're getting to eleven wins. Yeah, but I hear you on the Super Bowl hangover. But maybe the one thing more important than the Super Bowl hangover this year we talk about all the time is teams with continuity, and they still do have. A lot of continuity, even though we just mentioned those. those no, I agree. I, I, I'm saying, like, I'm saying, but like, I think if you look at the like the actual math on the Super Bowl hangover, it's just not as bad as we think. We just tend to anecdotally remember when these teams lose and they struggle out of the game. Uh, they're at New England, at Seattle. That's a tough pair of road trips. But Green Bay at home better be a win. I mean, they own Green Bay uh, at New Orleans, so that's a you know that's a toss up. It could be a great game again. Uh, at Rams, I mean, you know, wouldn't be surprised if it swung either way. Bills and Redskins at home, I think. Would be two wins at Dallas, fine if it's a loss. At Arizona, fine if it's a loss. But then Seattle at home in week 17, I think that's probably a win. So to me, you've, you've really already, like, I think their floor might be like nine wins if everything is operating correctly and everybody's healthy. This is just a, it's just a good football team and they've done a good job with this organization. Uh, wouldn't be surprised if the defense takes a small step back. Yeah. And let's not forget how dominant they were a season ago it wasn't like you know we talked about the Seahawks or the Packers how they lucked their way into so many wins I mean they beat the Vikings by 17 points in the playoffs they beat the Packers by 17 points I think we can all agree that was not a 17 point game that was like a 24 point bloodbath and then the Packers got some points there late in the game when the when the 49ers already knew they were going to the Super Bowl in my estimation this was I mean, you have to say they're the best team in the, in the NFC, but I, I think the only team that comes close to them in overall talent level are the New Orleans Saints. Uh, because if you look at all the games, they took care of business. They weren't a luck box team. They were blowing out teams and winning with authority. And that's why I have confidence going into this upcoming season that they can take a step back and still be the best or second best team in the NFC. Uh, the one thing I would point out with this, uh, with this team is that they have struggled. Last year, they struggled a little bit in terms of they didn't blow out teams with mobile quarterbacks. Yeah. It seemed to be sort of a bugaboo. Uh, they of course have Russell Wilson twice. They have Kyler Murray twice. You would think by week five, they would probably be playing Tua Tungavailoa, who's a very mobile quarterback. Um, Daniel Jones is a, is a very good young runner, uh, in week three. That could be a problem. Um, they also have, uh, Josh Allen in week 13. Uh, Dwayne Haskins is actually surprised, terribly immobile. <laughs> and, uh, despite what Stephen A. Smith thought coming into the draft. And I don't, does Dak qualify as mobile? I think Dak qualifies as mobile. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, like, there, this is a, a roster that, or a schedule that's littered with mobile quarterbacks. So that's at least maybe and something it, that would concern you. And again, they're operating within 
I think we'd all say is the worst, the hardest division in all of football. So every, so. Div- they can lose, they could win every divisional game, but you could look at all those and say they could lose every divisional game. So it'll be somewhere in the middle, but they're not going six and no against those caliber of teams. That's right. Uh, all right. Moving along. So we, I mean, did you make a pick? Yeah, I'm going over. Yeah. I, I think they're, I think they're, they're not going to win 13 games again. They'll get a little bit worse, but that's a small, they're, they're small window, talented. small window you paid yourself into 11 and 13. <laughs> It's a very, uh, Tabik-esque prediction. I know. 11 yeah. and 5. That's my prediction. Should we explain the Tabik thing? Cause we keep referencing on the podcast. For those that don't know, our former editor, Matthew Tabik, who's now at, uh, AtlantaFalcons.com and a recovering Corona patient. Uh, he, um, he boldly in 2000 and before the 16 season, 2016. That's right. Boldly predicted that the, I mean, like he was like, I, we're talking about over-unders at our company dinner. He's like, I, he's like, the Raiders are winning 12 games. We're like, so you want the over? He's like, no, just 12. We're like, wait, you're going to take, you don't want like over eight. He's like, just 12. We're like, okay, that's, uh, that's sort of insane. And there was a, a, a sizable wager of sorts on it that I can't really get into the details of. And we were giving him 12 and over and he just was flat out rejecting it. He didn't want 13, 14, 15 <laughs> or 16, just 12. It was like the, the six minute ad thing from, from something about Mary's like, not six, not eight, seven. And then <laughs> to make, to make it even better, the Raiders hit 12 wins before week 17, but Derek Carr gets hurt. So then they lose in week 17 because they're starting Connor Derek Cook Carr and Matt McLeod. And then, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. It was un- Unbelievable. Because we thought they were going to go over 12 wins and give yeah. them endless crap for not taking 13. And, and somehow hit it right on the number. Unbelievable. Yeah, I'm with you on the over there. I actually don't mind at all the idea of betting on the 49ers at plus 105 to win the division. I think that's a pretty – like, I know it's the toughest division in football. I know we think they can take a step back. I love the Cardinals this year. Uh, Kenny White was on our HQ show and he thinks the Rams at three to one are a good value. And I, I don't want to bet against Russell Wilson, but like, shouldn't the 49ers be like minus 150 given how good they looked last year? Yeah. And not to mention, yes, they can take a step back, but we're about to talk about the Seahawks and they are, if you're looking at teams in terms of regression, the poster boy for that. And I understand that we all, I like the Cardinals too and I like their over. But that's a big gap to go from five wins to go from 11 wins in winning division. And I don't, I know you're higher on them probably than I am and I'm, and I'm even high on them, but I don't think they can make that gap in a single off season. So there's I, also, I th- well, I was going to say, there's also something about like taking a, like an even money division bet that like isn't very sexy. And I think it drives people away. It's like, eh, plus one at five, like, eh, you know, it's you're just even money. It's like, eh, there's no juice to that. And the 49ers just have to win probably 12 games and you got it. Um, I wouldn't even mind taking them to win the division instead of taking the over at 10 and a half games. Because I think you can win the division with 10 games or even nine games, depending on how the schedule plays out. So maybe that's something to consider. All right. Moving along to the Seattle Seahawks, as you mentioned, uh, the Seattle Seahawks over under nine and a half wins, the over plus 130, the under minus 150, which is very notable because Vegas is not stupid and knows how to juice these puppies up. Yeah. And I, I, talking about the Seahawks is tough for me. It's the same way I talk about the Houston Texans and you look at the overall body of their roster. You don't really like it that much. It's, I think the Seahawks defense is a problem, specifically the pass rush. We'll see if, I mean, the clowny thing is continuing to stretch on, but let's see if they bring in clowny. That would obviously help. 
it comes down to the quarterback. And I don't want a bet against Russell Wilson not getting to 10 wins. It's only happened once in his eight-year career. They went 9-7 and seven that year. I think Preach pointed out that they had one game in that season where their kicker missed three field goals or something like that. So Russell Wilson is continually getting them to 10 wins. And Russell Wilson has covered up so many of these flaws over recent years. I know early on in his career, he had a great defense to lean on. But when he was playing offensively in those years, they didn't have an offensive line, and he was covering up those warts. And in recent seasons, the defense hasn't been as good, and he's just been able to engineer these close wins over and over again that really gives me pause because normally I say, oh, this team had a point differential right around zero, which is what the Seahawks did have. They're going to regress. But I think Russell Wilson is almost regression-proof. And so I would take the over, especially if you're getting uh, those odds as opposed to the under, at, what did you say, minus 150? Or minus 110, uh, minus 150, sorry. So I would rather have the Seahawks over. I don't feel great about it because I don't think they're a great team from top to bottom. And that's why it can make arguing for the over seem simplistic, just saying the quarterback's name over and over again. But it is Russell Wilson, and that's why I'm taking the over. Yeah, I'm gonna take the under, and I'm I like I'm with you. I've there is there has hardly been a bigger Russell Wilson supporter since he came into the league in 2012 than yours truly. Um but I, I think when you look at the Seahawks, this is a 11-win team last year that profiled as an 8.2-win team. There was no one. And here's the thing. Like, I think that if they, if they came out and decided to, as, as Seahawks Twitter likes to, likes to say, let Russ cook, uh, and just unleash this like up-tempo short passing game offense that ran play action and let Russell take shots down the field, then this is a 10 or 11 win team. But the problem for me is if you are the Seahawks and you continually roll out this Brian Schottenheimer offense that attempts to lean on the run. And by the way, they're talking about bringing Marshawn Lynch back. That should tell you how Rashad Penny and Chris Carson are faring. Um, if, if, you know, when you continue to lean on that, you increase, you, you, you decrease your margin for error. Because you are keeping games close, you're keeping games tight, and that means you might win late with a clutch quarterback, but it, it's it's less likely for you to win a ton of games because you you end up battling it out late, and you're asking Russell to pull something off, and I, it's so so tough. Uh, DJ Dallas, a nice fourth round ad in the 2020 draft. Um, I like. I think that this is. I don't know. Is it the best pass catching group that Russell Wilson's ever had? Is that- uh, I mean, he had Baldwin and Lockett at one point. Yeah. I mean, Metcalf, Lockett, Dorsett's, I like to, I, I think what, what you see though, and again, this goes back to the, what the Seahawks are offensively. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Philip Dorsett, right? Those are their three top receivers and Greg Olson is at the tight end. All four of those guys thrive off getting vertical. Will, Will Olson maybe more a little bit, you're not, you know, straight downfield off of play action. Like, that's what those guys do really well. It is very clear that they want to run the ball and then let Russ take deep play action shots. They win nine games or more. They've done it every year that Russ has been there. Um, but I think there's a pretty good chance that nine and seven is their ceiling here. So I would take the under, although I, I wouldn't take it at minus 150. I think that's a bit pricey because Lord knows Russell could pull some stuff out of his out of his butt. And, and win some games. And by the way, no potentially no fans in the stands. That would be a problem for Seattle. Uh, I mean, and everything you say, I can't disagree with because I agree with all. Of, that's why it's tough to argue. I mean, everything you say, literally I can... just trust. But yeah. but you know, when you go down their game log, 
<laughs> it's like they did not do well after the week 11 bye last year. They went three and three down the stretch and limped into the playoffs. And there are two games before the bye. They won in overtime. So yep. I mean, they're, they're so, they had so many points last season. They should have, they should have lost, they should have lost to the Bengals in week one somehow. Andy Dalton had them on the goal line down one point. They should have lost to the Steelers, but against ben, Mason ben, Rudolph, <laughs> Big Ben got hurt and then they got that pass interference overturned replay that Pete Carroll somehow got, even though they hadn't done one all freaking year long. Uh, they should have lost to the Rams, but Zerline, you know, shanked that kick. Uh, they should have lost to, the Browns, but Freddie I don't Kitchens, remember that game. I don't either, but Freddie Kitchens is a human <laughs> being who's terrible at his job, so they, they didn't do that. Um, you know, they got manhandled by the Ravens. Uh, they, I don't remember them playing at the Falcons. I mean, the 49ers should have won that game. Remember that Garoppolo the Bucks, bombed Bucks it? Won yeah. that game. Yeah. So uh, there were so many points along that year where it could have gone south and you could have seen them going eight and eight or seven and nine even, and every single bounce went their way. They were but, down. 14 to 7. Remember that crazy Anthony Harris uh pick 6 of Russ? Yes. They're down 14 to 7 to the to the to the Vikings and then down 17 to 10 uh going into the into halftime and then they just ripped off like 17 crazy points immediately. Um they could have lost to the Vikings on that Monday. Yeah, I mean they I just don't think you can survive like that as a football team. And it's worth repeating because they haven't really sent anyone to bolster their edge. They're leading sacker last year at four sacks. Only the Dolphins had fewer sacks. The pass rush is a major issue, and that's why it's a little bit surprising that still they have they have all the medical info and clowny as opposed to every other team. It's a little bit surprising that they're not the team that have negotiated with Clowney a deal, or maybe it's probably bad news for Clowney that the team that does know about him isn't willing to give. Him I just think that, I think they have a ceiling on what they want to pay him, but I think they've realized he's probably not coming back at this point. Um, if you know, assuming he can take visits at some point in the near future, the Los Angeles Rams. And by the way, the Seahawks. I should point out uh, eight and a half to one to win the NFC. That's not terrible. And seventeen to one to win the Super Bowl. Mm. Uh, the Rams over under eight and a half. Sean, what do you think about the Rams? I like the under, and I I think this division is going to be really good, and I think there's going to be three teams above eight wins uh, like a year ago and one team below, and that's going to be the Rams, and I think the Cardinals are going to take the Rams' spot. And I just don't think they've done enough. They had a good season last year. Like nine and seven for a disappointing season is a good season by those standards, but they just didn't have any cap space to make additions. They didn't have any draft picks um, to add to the roster. They got rid of Wade Phillips, even though the defense was the strength of that team a year ago, top 10 defense by DVOA. And it was the offense that was a problem. They went from second to 17th. And they're bringing back largely the same personnel. They got rid of Todd Gurley, which is fine. I don't think that's going to impact the offense much at all. Uh, They got rid of Brandon Cooks, who wasn't healthy for a lot of the season. But when healthy, they're going to miss Brandon Cooks because he was a good vertical threat. And it comes down to Jared Goff. And look, he went to Cal. I'm supposed to root for him as John Breach always notes on the HQ show. But in his past 21 regular season starts, and that seems like an arbitrary number, but there was a defining cutoff point in the 2018 season when that Rams offense went downhill. It was at the beginning of December, right after that shootout against the Chiefs with, uh, in late November that we all yeah. remember as one of the best games. After that game, the Rams offense fell off, and they didn't recover in the playoffs. They didn't recover last year. So in Jared Goff's last 21 starts – in regular season only, 7.2 yards per attempt, 28 touchdowns, 22 interceptions, and an 83.9 passer rating. And again, that's not factoring in the playoff run where he wasn't very good in those final two games. I just don't think they added enough to get over the hump. And I think instead of a bounce back year, I think you're going to see the regression continue even more. 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree. And so, like, maybe, I mean, I thought it was really interesting. Kenny White thought that the Rams are good value on our HQ show to win the division. I was very surprised by that. Uh, to me, I, I like – I, I, I Wilson has been big on them. They added Cam Akers and Van Jefferson, and that's cool. But you just had to cut a running back who made too much money, and then you drafted a running back with your first pick in the second round – and then in the th- in the second round, you follow up with your second pick, which you got in the Brandon Cooks deal, and you basically add like a guy who profiles like Cooper Cup, which is fine. Two Cooper Cups is better than one Cooper Cup, and in, in Van Jefferson. Um, I, do, I one of the things I think back to. Um, oh God, I'm drawing a blank on his name, and I will tell you. Hold on a second. Uh, the oh, Jared Velt here, when he came back for one final season with the Cardinals, and I think he eventually would go on to play for the Raiders, but like there was some buzz that he had been sort of talked into coming back and wanted to walk away, but ended up coming back because he knew the team needed him. I sort of wonder if that might be the case with Andrew Whitworth. And I'm not saying he's not passionate about coming back. Like he's awesome. And he's a, could be a hall of famer, but if this offensive line doesn't drastically improve, I don't see how this Sean McVay offense gets going. I mean, Jared Goff needs protection and he needs to be able to, operate with play action to get the ball to these guys who are running free. And if you can't run the ball in this, in this McVay system, I just don't think that it's going to be like a dominant offense. And let's, let's also, I think it's funny because I didn't like the move to get rid of Wade Phillips at the time. And I wonder now looking back on it, if the Rams had known this is going to be this type of off season where you're not getting players in the building until probably right before the season, if they just would have kept Wade Phillips uh, for continuity's sake. And they've lost a lot of players. Right, let, me, let me ask you this, because I just, I just Wikipedia'd him. What, what can you tell me about their new defensive coordinator, Brandon Staley? Ooh, he was with the Bears at some point, I believe. He was. He was the outside linebacker. Because coach. that's, yeah. I don't so, know what he's been doing since Chicago. All right, so here's his, uh, here's his coaching track since 2014. James Madison the college, uh, defensive coordinator slash linebackers coach. John Carroll, the college, defensive coordinator slash secondary coach. Chicago Bears, uh, 2017 to 2018, outside linebackers coach. Denver Broncos, 2019, outside linebackers coach. LA Rams, this coming year, defensive coordinator. That, I like, I am not questioning Brandon Staley's pedigree. And he's clearly Sean McVay identified him as somebody he likes and he worked with Vic Fangio. I, and Vic Fangio liked him and brought him to a second location when he took the head coaching job. But Vic Fangio brought him over and didn't give him a promotion, which is a little surprising. And he's 37 years old and is going to be calling the Rams defense. Like I, 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 maybe he's a, maybe he's awesome. That's a big job to take over for Wade Phillips and to operate that defense. It almost feels like, and I have no idea if this is true or not. There had to be something there with Wade Phillips that we don't really know about because I, I again, I don't understand why they made this move when it wasn't the defense that took a step back. It was the offense. In a way, it felt like scapegoating. Like we had this this season. We were supposed to go to the playoffs. We got to make some kind of change. And it's not just the coordinator they lost. They lost Corey Littleton, who led the team in tackles. He went to the Raiders. They lost Eric Weddle to retirement. And Dante Fowler, who I think we all agree is like a flawed player, by no means a superstar. But he had 11 and a half sacks, and they got rid of him. And they replaced him with Leonard Floyd, who I think is a good player. He's He's not a pass rusher, though. He's good against the run, can drop back. He's versatile. He's not getting 11 sacks. His career high is probably somewhere around seven, I I would guess. Yeah, I mean, look, Aaron Donald's a superstar, and Jalen Ramsey's awesome. And Jalen Ramsey's probably playing for a contract this year, right? I mean, we don't think he's going to sign a new deal. Um, Taylor Rapp uh, really impressed as a rookie last year. 
Uh, John Johnson is a nice player at safety. They have, they have pieces on the defense, but if that defense regresses at all and the offensive line doesn't improve, I, I'm with you. I think, I think the under is, is a, is a play here. I, I just, I'm selling the Rams and maybe I'm wrong and McVay's a genius, but I'm selling the Rams. The Arizona Cardinals over under seven. This has moved up from six and a half to seven. The over is minus one thirty. Anyone who listens to this show, on a semi-regular basis, knows where I'm going here. Uh, I love the over. It's my one of my two best bets on the year. Um, I like the Cardinals at 12 to one to win the division. I think that's those are crazy odds. I like him at 60 to one to win the Super Bowl. I like Kyler at 25 to one to win the MVP. Um, uh, or, or do you think any of those things are crazy? And do you agree with me on the over? I don't think it's crazy. I think I'm very high on the Cardinals and I would take, I'm taking the over. I think you're higher on them. Like I understand the value bet of Kyler Murray winning MVP. I just don't, it's just a little bit too much of a leap in one, one year for me. But if I were had to rank every team's offseason, including free agency in the draft, I would probably rank the Cardinals first, even above like a team like the Ravens, who I thought did a phenomenal job. It, it wasn't just the Andre Hopkins trade, which we've talked about the death, but I thought Isaiah Simmons falling to them in the draft was a, a steal because this was a defense that had multiple spots to fill and probably wasn't going to get it done in one offseason. I'm not saying they're going to be a top five, top 10 defense, but Isaiah Simmons, if they use him correctly, and that's a big, you know, what if, if they use him correctly. Well, on that, I mean, I think it's worth noting, like people push back on the Simmons pick because Hassan Reddick didn't work out for them. And by the way, instead of trading up to snag Patrick Mahomes, who the Cardinals really liked in that draft, they st- they thought Mahomes was going to fall to him, and they were like, "Yeah, if he doesn't fall, like." And this is how people thought before the draft about Mahomes, though. Like they're like, "Okay, look, you know, we like Watson, we like Mahomes." Actually, I don't know if they like. They, I think they liked Watson. Um, they did like Mahomes though. They're like, "If Mahomes falls to us, we're going to take him, and if not, you know, we think Reddick's a really good player. We'll just grab him." And ay ay ay. Uh, but like they've had they had Honey Badger who worked out really well. They had Dion Buchanan who worked very well until he got hurt. Like I, to me, Reddick is really more the outlier than mm-hmm. the, like it's just like, I don't think you can paint Simmons and Reddick in the same light. And I don't think you draft Isaiah Simmons if you're just going to play it. Like there's been some comments made by the coaching staff that have people worried that he's just going to play at linebacker. I don't think you draft Isaiah Simmons if you're planning to use the linebacker. I think that's just you need to fire Vance Joseph if you're not if you're if you're going to do that. Like right, I just don't think you fu- you take a guy who his biggest weapon or his biggest asset is his versatility and that he can plug so many different holes. But it's not just Simmons; it's getting Campbell from the from the Falcons at linebacker, where I think maybe not a great player, uh, but will be better than what they had there. Go along with Jordan Hicks. And then Jordan Phillips was has been very good in Buffalo and has been a key part of what they've done there. But because he plays on the interior of the defensive line, no one really talks about him. I think he's going to be great in terms of stuffing the run. And look, they play against the Seahawks twice a year, and you know the Seahawks love to run the ball. I think that's going to be a big addition. I like the over. I don't think they're going to win the division. But when you name those odds, I can see why they're an attractive bet, similar to how you know you know we always like these long shots and – Ryan always makes fun of us for saying you guys, but you know, took Trubisky 50 to one and all that. We're not saying these guys are the favorites. We're right. saying that it's good value for relative to other people at that position. I mean, like, like people were like Mahomes at 75 to one. That's ridiculous. Like Lamar Jackson, 60 to one. That's right. not going to happen. Well, it did. Um, I think that the, this season 
hinges for the Cardinals hinges on two things. I, I firmly believe, and I cannot be talked off of that Kyler Murray will have another step forward uh, in year two of, of Cliff Kingsbury's system. And look, all credit to Steve Kime and Cliff Kingsbury because we we were like, oh, we got to take Bosa and just roll with Rosen. He can run yeah, it just as well as Kyler. No, Kyler, yeah, yeah. Kyler runs it. Kyler runs that system really well. I think it comes down to two things here. One, can Marcus Gilbert and DJ Humphrey stay healthy and be effective at the tackle positions? Uh, they have Josh Jones who they drafted in the third round as an insurance, but he's sort of more of an upside guy that you don't really want to have to plug in right away. And then two, can the 2019 defensive draft picks take a step forward? And by that, I mean Byron Murphy and Zach Allen. Uh, Allen, the uh, third-round pass rusher that they took last year, and Murphy, the second-round cornerback. Those guys can be impact players. And if they take a step forward, I think you really have a defense that can be like if Vance Joseph does his job right, that could be a really interesting defense. Uh, okay. So to recap, by the like, way, real quick, my Kyler prediction isn't the MVP, what you're saying. And I know you're not predicting a win MVP. You're saying it's good odds. I think by the end of this next season, he will be the second best quarterback in the division. Or I think that's how we will rank them heading into 2021. I think he's the second best right now. I think it's tough to do that to Garoppolo, but that's what I'm saying is I think I mean, by you the would, end of the season. Take Tyler in a, even salary, yes, even yes, yes. The salary, you'd still take yes. Kyler in Absolutely. Absolutely. I think there's a very good chance that Kyler finishes the number one fantasy quarterback this year. Yeah. And if you, I don't know what his ADP will be, but if you can sit, compare that to like Mahomes and Lamar, it's going to be tremendous value. Yeah. I mean, he, he's still going in like the sixth round or something. Yeah. Really. That might be too high. Yeah, exactly. Um, do you, uh, do you like anything in terms of, uh, NFC Super Bowl or division winner? As I pointed out, I mean, like this is a dangerous fade of Russell Wilson and Sean McVay, but I don't mind taking the 49ers and the Seahawks both to win the division. Obviously, you know, you do like, you know, half a unit on the Cardinals and then, you know, 1.5 on the 49ers or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I guess <laughs> I don't like to see us as a team, but 17 to one Russell Wilson to drag a team to the Super Bowl. I don't, I don't hate that. That would probably be my value. I still think 60 to one is great odds for the Cardinals. It's just so much has to go right. Like all their picks have to go right. All their picks, as you mentioned from last year have to develop. It just feels like this isn't a one year thing. This is like their competitive improvement year. And then next year we'll be talking about them as the Super Bowl kind of team. So, I mean, I don't like, I'm not suggesting a hedge here, but, um, if you put a hundred dollars on this on the 49ers at plus one of five, um, you would uh you could put like fifteen bucks on the sixteen bucks on the Cardinals at twelve to one. And if one of those two teams wins the division, you would profit eighty-nine dollars. So like that's that's a very nice profit off off your investment. Uh what I would suggest is if you like what I'm talking about with the Cardinals and the 49ers, put a hundred of the four or a full unit on the 49ers. And then come back and put a half unit on the Cardinals. If the Cardinals win, it's a big payday, but the 49ers winning would mitigate, you know, you'd still get a half a unit victory. Uh, okay. Let's take a break. And when we, when we come back, we will talk about the AFC West. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. I laughed going into into the break because Devo said, you fools won't be talking fantasy for half an hour. <laughs> Leading into the... Remember in 2010 when Jamal Charles was good? Devo, it's better than us doing Game of Thrones recaps, which we were doing at this time last year. Were we doing that? Th- was that last year? I know. I was thinking about how, like... That got us through so much of the off season, and how much better it would have been if Game of Thrones had come out this year without sports. He, do you, Dad Diva is like, no, there's no way they can screw this. <laughs> do you think that there's? Do you think there's a chance? Like, it, would we view season eight of Game of Thrones differently <laughs> if it had come out, come out during the quarantine? Like, would we appreciate it more? And like, what the the ratings would be insane. I, I I honestly think people would be more mad because I think there would be more time in during the week between episodes to fixate it without sports. You would have everyone. That's all they would be thinking about. Because because if you go on Twitter during Game of Thrones, it felt like a sporting event with the way people were tweeting about it. Yeah, it's like like over. It, it really is. It's like overreact. Like you can't let anything mellow and figure it out. That's actually why I think Better Call Saul is so good because nobody's like watching it live, like the way they were with Breaking Bad. And that too is like the thing with Breaking Bad, uh, is that people were tweeting about it at the time live and like nobody complained about it. You know what I mean? Like everybody was all in on it. That's, that's the true testament of a show is nobody's being and moaning about a show live on Twitter while it's happening. Yeah, because once a show like that, those two shows get so popular and everyone is watching it, not just like the huge TV heads. Yeah. You're going to get criticism for so many things. Like my parents went back and rewatched or not rewatched. They watched Game of Thrones for the first time during quarantine. And then I was like, what did you guys think about that final season? They're like, it was, it was awesome. What are you talking about? Like, what, yeah, no, I actually think Game of Thrones 15 years from now when someone's just on HBO and like, Oh, people used to like this show and they pick up and watch it and they're not doing the theories every single week on Reddit and all that, I think they'll like, they'll be like, oh, this final season was, that was good. But like, why did everyone get so bad? I actually, a couple nights ago, sorry, Debo, um, rewatched the second last. What Debo didn't know is that we have like a separate Slack thread where we We have our separate rundown. Oh yeah. It's like, here are the things we're going to do to derail the podcast on a daily basis. We actually, I actually went back and watched, um, the second last episode, the one spoiler alert where Danny kind of goes mad. And there was a huge backlash at, at, at after that episode, and I just watched it. And I was just like, "Why did people get so mad again?" And I don't want to have to relive that because we definitely did it on this podcast. But yeah. I think it'll age better than immediate reactions. All right. Uh, so if if you were picking a one NFL player who would be a dragon, uh, you would pick Patrick Mahomes. If you want evergreen pods, go back to last like May fifteenth. And just download that one. It still applies if you're rewatching Game of Thrones now. Pick six can serve as your your rewatch pod. Uh, we I need to go back and like listen to some of those older pods to see if like just I, I need to see what we sounded like because I mean like I mean I was like, on Apple headphones at that point. No, I don't mean like even the technical like how what was the flow like because I do think it changes year to year. I got a note from um uh, a, a podcast listener. I'm not going to say. It. I, 
not going to say his name because he asked me this question, but he's like, dude, been loving the looseness of the podcast the last few weeks. Edibles, microdosing, well done. <laughs> I was like, it's none of those. It's all natural, like my hair. Uh, but I think the quarantine has definitely had like a, eh, you know, effect to it. You know, like not, you know, like Devo's not afraid to just turn his mic on and burn a coworker to the ground. He just doesn't care about it. Well, at this I'm, point a year ago, Debo wasn't. Uh, yeah, that was Game of Thrones was pre-Debo. What? You yeah, have... because we had one Game of Thrones recap that was a mess because we were just yelling at each other, me and you, as like oh, Ryan. Was... The and then I started to come up with the Game of Thrones only rundown, so we would stop yelling at each other. Wait, Debo, you? I was not privy to that. Podcast. I I joined officially August, so it was it was late, right before the season. Is that right? I feel like you've been doing this podcast for four years. <laughs> Trust me, it feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like twelve. Um, man, we are special. Um, by the way, shout out to uh, New Anthem Brewery. I'm drinking a Neon God uh, Citra Mosaic Double Dry Hop IPA. It is friggin' unbelievable. Maybe the best beer I've had this entire year. You know what I've been getting into? What's that? Uh, Diva's gonna kill us, but uh, I'm gonna get into hard kombucha. It's actually pretty good. Let's go. I'm okay with that since he brought that up. Kombucha? We tried this this like black cherry one that was like seven point five percent. Wow. Uh, yeah, it was really good from Whole Foods. Uh, I've been drinking a lot of bourbon in quarantine. Yeah, I just killed a giant four roses. I gotta get a new one on Friday. Oh, you know what I got over here? I got a uh, single single. Oh, what is it? Debo, do you like you like hard kombucha, right? Yeah, I think you, I, you I were was, doing it on a podcast. Once. I was drinking it after like a Thursday night football game where we were podcasting. You asked what that was, and I feel like it wasn't met super well at the time. But I'm glad we've grown during quarantine. I'm not small, small batch select four roses, and we found uh, my talking to the mic. Well, <laughs> my neighbor, my neighbor, and I found this uh, website that uh, delivers Buff Trace. Ooh. For twenty eight bucks a, a fifth, that's including, actually it's cheaper than the store, including the the delivery fee. I think it's like twenty eight here. You cannot find it here. You cannot. Oh really? I, I know you yeah. like held it up like a treasure. I was like, they have them at Trader Joe's. Yeah. Oh yeah. You can't get this anywhere here. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. I've never had the small batch four roses. I just buy the, really the cheap good. one. Yeah. Four roses is very good. Underrated. Um. Do you have any other thoughts on uh speaking of the Chiefs? Um <laughs> yeah. if the Chiefs were a bourbon, they would be four roses. I, I think that's probably fair. Um Chiefs over under eleven and a half wins. Over. And uh, that's obviously predictable. By the way, the over is minus one forty, which is crazy. The yeah, under- I mean I wouldn't put my own money on this. It's more just if you had to pick if they're gonna win more than eleven and a half or less than eleven and a half, I'm not betting against Mahomes and Reed. I said this on the HQ show. I really think in small sample size, obviously, they're the new Brady Belichick. Brady and Belichick did it for 20 years. Mahomes and Reed have only been around for two years, so we'll see how that ages. But Mahomes' record, including the playoffs, is 28 and 8. That's good enough for winning percentage of 77.8. Tom Brady's career winning percentage with Bill Belichick is 76.9. So Mahomes and Reed, the last two years, including the playoffs, have been roughly the same percentage as, as Brady in Belichick is a little bit better. And as for as much as we know about their offense, we don't need to rehash that because they're returning pretty much everyone added a running back in the draft, which was the definition of a luxury pick, which a team like them can afford to do that defense was really coming on in the second half of the year. And that's uh, two years ago, they cost them a spot in Super Bowl with 
ranking 26 in DVOA. They went all the way up to 14th. And if they had played the way they had played in the second half of that year, I think they would have been a top 10. And they managed to win 12 games. They managed to hit that over at 12 games with Mahomes missing pretty much three full full games. And they went three, two and one without him with Matt Moore. And I think that's, so if Mahomes is healthy, I think they could win 14 games, maybe 15. And I know, you know, that's me saying it, the biggest chief summer on this podcast. But I think even if he gets hurt by for a game or two, he gets concussed, let's say that happens, I think they can still hit the over because Andy Reid has proven he can win with backup quarterbacks. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I actually think it, it's an interesting, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Jordan Te'amu, friend of the podcast. He was on the podcast this offseason. Um, he is, uh, he's on that depth chart now, right? Didn't he? Yeah. Behind, uh, Chad Henney. I think he could actually end up winning, winning the backup job and be an interesting, uh, fill in for Mahomes. I mean, the pat, and then like Andy Reid trades him for a first round pick. I had no problem predicting the over on the Chiefs, uh, at 11 and a half. Andy Reid has won three of his six seasons in Kansas City. I believe he's won 12 games. He's never won 13 games in Kansas City. They are at Baltimore. And uh, what was the other game that I had earmarked that I was concerned about before I lost my place on the Chiefs' schedule? They are at Baltimore, and they are at Tampa Bay uh, in Week 12, which I think is going to be a tough game. You know, By the way, that game's on CBS. Lovely. Tampa Bay, Kansas City? Hello, Nan. I wonder if, I wonder if we'll send Jim Nance and Tony Romo to that game. Um, I, I mean, like Kansas, Kansas City can go win that game. I just think there's a, there's, I, I don't mind the over 11 and a half as much. I would not take the over at 12 because I think there is a perfectly reasonable chance that they yeah. go 11 and five. Like 11 and five is not a bad season. It's That's good. A great they could season. get a top two seed with an 11 and five, right? They get the one seed with 11 and five for all we know with the Patriots, you know, being where they are. So. Because of that, oh, and they're at New Orleans. Like that's, I think at Baltimore, at Tampa Bay, at New Orleans, there's probably three losses. I don't, I mean, not yeah, guaranteed, but, but like they're not going to be favored in those three games. They're not going to be three and zero, oh, but I think I would predict two and one. I mean, a year ago, I think if you one were... and two, one and two. Come on, man, the Saints, the Brady and the Bucks, and the the Ravens. Uh, yeah, but we're talking about, in my opinion, the best team in football. I think there's a chance that, that they lose at Buffalo. Ugh, I I I don't see that happening at all. I I it's there's a good team. I mean, look, they're going to lose. They're not going 16 and 0. I I understand. I think they're winning 12 games or 13 games. I know. I, all I'm saying is that at Buffalo, at Tampa Bay, at New Orleans, and at Baltimore, those are four really tough road games. And if you don't win one of those, I think it is very unlikely that you uh, that you win twelve games. And a lot of this does come down to the division. And on paper, I think we think all three of those other teams have gotten better, but they have a lot of ground to make up to be. You know, they can be better and still be significantly worse than the Chiefs. And if they are a lot better, then yes, then I have a hard time believing they're going to win twelve games because they swept, I believe, the division last year, went five and one a year ago. So with Mahomes, they're eleven and one against the division. But if that division improves, yes, it'll be hard. But I think for as much improvements as the Broncos have made, they're asking a lot of rookies coming in to make an impact. And it's a different beast when you're going up against Mahomes in Kansas City. And same with the Chargers. They have a big question mark at quarterback. Well, I, let me just say this. I I think that the Chiefs will probably win 12 games or more. 
I would not bet the over. I would not bet the under. If I, if you, if you put a gun to my head and said, you got to bet one of these, I would bet the under because it is just such a high number. And there's a huge, there's just not a lot of room for error. Like if Mahomes gets hurt and they don't win those games, you know, and like, or maybe, maybe the rest of the division stinks and it's clinched in week 15 and they sit their guys for two weeks, you know, like who, I mean, yeah. I don't, you know, like a lot has to go right and only a couple things have to go wrong for a team not to win 12 exactly. games. So like I would avoid betting the over 11 and a half isn't crazy, but I would avoid betting. All right. Let's move on to the Chargers. We have the second highest. Again, this goes back to the division. Chargers second highest win total in the division, uh, seven and a half. My- am, I cr- am I crazy for liking the over? And I said this on the ACQ show oh. too. I, I think you can make a reasonable argument for the over and you can make a very reasonable argument. For the under, I think you said on the HQ show you wouldn't be surprised if they're in contention for the top pick. I said that at some point this offseason too, that we're going to have a conversation a year from now is if they should draft another quarterback, even though they took Herbert, uh, this past year. But I didn't love their draft because I don't like Herbert as a, as a quarterback. I think we're in agreement there, but if they're, I love their period of free agency. I thought signing Brian Bulaga, if that's a loss that we're not talking about enough with the Green Bay Packers not being able to replace him when healthy, he's one of the top three, maybe best pass blocking right tackles flipping Russell Okung into Trey Turner. I thought was tremendous value getting an off injured guy in the final years of contract and getting a young pro bowl guard, uh, resigning Austin Eckler, a much better fit for the offense of Melvin Gordon. We were so frustrated a year, a year ago when Melvin Gordon came back and then Austin Eckler's touches went down. It just made no sense whatsoever. You franchise tag Hunter Henry. I mean, that's a good one-year deal. Linval Joseph, who's been perennially underappreciated because he played on a stacked Vikings defense, I thought, you know, adding him to already front four, that is Bosa, has Ingram, is tremendous. And then Chris Harris is one of the best corners of the past decade. I don't see how this defense isn't a top-10 defense. I think they're one of the five best defenses. I didn't even like the Kenneth Murray trade whatsoever because they gave up too much. But if you're not, if no, we're not looking at, you know, the next five years, we're looking at this upcoming season. He fills a huge void in the middle of their defense. So I think they have enough defensively to win with Tyrod Taylor, who did go 22 and 20 in Buffalo, won't turn the ball over, has an interception rate of 1.5 in his career, has familiarity with Anthony Lynn. And I'm pretty much buying the defense and I'm buying that run heavy approach. I won't be bad if you say I'm silly and think this is a five win team because I think a lot could go wrong for them. But I don't hate what they did this offseason. I, I I think that this roster is incredibly talented. My issue is that so like they like if you took Russell Wilson, because they want to be the Seahawks. They want to be the Seahawks, right? If you took Russell Wilson, you put him on this roster, they're probably like they're not far behind the Chiefs in terms of like favored for the division, right? They're not favored. I think the Chiefs would still be above them. Of course, but I'm saying like it's not like twelve to one or seven to one. I mean, they're like no, no. no. The frustrating thing about this team is they are so good and they have so many impending free agents that this should be their all-in year, and they're settling for Tyrod Taylor, who I like as a startable quarterback. But if they had if they had won the Tom Brady sweepstakes, I mean, this would be really juicy division. Exactly. Like if Brady's on this team, this team is like a top five favorite to win the Super Bowl. I think part of my concern is that like the Seahawks, they seem intent on running the football a ton. Well, you know, they added Josh Kelly, Joshua Kelly, I guess, in the, in the fourth round. They have Justin Jackson, who I, I like, but is still a you know, seventh rounder from 2018. They haven't shown a willingness to lean on. And they have Austin Eckler, who I love. Like I'm all, all aboard the Austin Eckler bandwagon, but is Austin Eckler going to be a, like, 
Austin Eckler in a Philip Rivers offense is different than Austin Eckler as a workhorse in a Tyrod Taylor offense. Like those are not the same thing. So I, I question whether that'll work out. Uh, I still have lingering issues about what their training staff will do in terms of keeping guys healthy. I don't know that the offensive line is great. And I like, there's nothing you can say. The defense is just awesome. How is this not a top five defense? You had Kenneth Murray, the one position they really had a problem with. If everybody's healthy, this is a, it's a top five defense. Like just end of story. I just think that the approach that they're taking is very anti-modern and that concerns me. So I would go under, I wouldn't be surprised if they won 10 games. I wouldn't be surprised if they won two games. Yeah. And that's exactly what I'm saying. I think you can make a very reasonable case that they are the second best team in the division. And you can make a reasonable case that they're, again, we're going to be having a conversation. And if things go south, remember this. If things start off bad, they're going to put in the rookie quarterback, and they're punting on the year, and they're saying, we're just going to see what we have in Herbert moving forward. And then in that case, they're not getting eight wins. I mean, let's walk through a scenario here, Sean, where they go to Cincinnati in week one, and Joe Burrow's great, and Cincinnati pulls the upset, which I don't think is crazy at all, in Cincy. Then they get blasted by the Chiefs in week two. Then, like, Carolina comes in and sneaks one on them in week three, or maybe they win, whatever you want to do. And then they lose back-to-back games at Tampa, at New Orleans, and all of a sudden they're one and four or oh and five. It's Justin Herbert's playing against the Jets in week six. It's funny because you never want to say a season comes down to one game or week one, but it's almost like if they lose in week one, that would be enough to swing me. Um, to the under. under. And that's, and that's really the problem with saying the, tra- taking the charters over is their margin for winning, as you just outlined, is so small and their margin to getting to eight or nine wins is so small. And with all these AFC West teams, you have to add the fact that they do have to play the Chiefs twice. And I know the Chiefs aren't, you know, you can beat the Chiefs. It's happened before. I don't think you're beating the but, Chiefs by Rod Taylor. But you look, yeah, I think with all these teams, maybe the exception of in Denver would be the one game where I think the Chiefs could lose that. You have to mark these down when you're going win-loss, win-loss, win-loss as two losses for the Chargers against the Chiefs. Absolutely. And they're also at Miami in Week 7, at Buffalo late November. I mean, you know, they have to play New England in Week 13 at home, which I get it. New England's not Tom Brady Patriots, but like that's you're still playing the Patriots and Bill Belichick. Like, you want to play small ball with Bill Belichick? I mean, okay. and Bill Belichick has played against Tyrod Taylor plenty when he's in Buffalo. He understands how to game plan for him. Absolutely. Uh, and then you're hoping the Chiefs are sitting starters in week 17, so you get the eight wins. Uh, all right. Debo, are we exactly on the time that you plotted out for this? Oh, podcast? this is just like I planned. <laughs> wait, wait. Uh, question. Breach and Wilson have recorded alone this week, right? Yes. Who is the worst? combo in terms of going off on tangents this you one right here <laughs> okay well it's also a little, ryan I, I know ryan's a no nonsense he just wants to well it's it also out. it's also different we recorded with those two guys before the hq show at like 3 p.m and so we had and in fact one of them we had we were like oh yeah the a box canceled and they're like no a box back on so we had to like yeah. print to get it done and we didn't want to record after uh in this case um you know like we Fired up at 5.15 after the show, cracked a beer. You know, it's a different vibe. Um, sure, it's hell for Debo, but what do you got to do? Las Vegas. To, he's going to have to cut out a lot of kombucha and Game of Thrones stuff. Sunday night vibes right here. <laughs> I know. I like it. Um, it is. You, you're like, oh, yeah, we got tons of time. We got an hour to fill. And all of a sudden, it's like 38 minutes in. Like, you haven't hit your break yet. The Las Vegas Raiders... Over under seven and a half wins. So the final three teams, all seven and a half wins. The Raiders is uh, even money over or under. The Raiders are actually the 
the second favorite to win the division at plus 850, uh, 15 to one to win the AFC and 30 to one to win the Super Bowl. What do you think about the Raiders over under, Sean? I think this is my favorite bet of the four teams and I think it's under and I think their number is greatly inflated. It should not be at seven and a half. And the reason it's at seven and a half is because they won seven games a year ago, which was, I think, impressed a lot of us. I don't think any of us. I remember when we were doing that, remember that bold predictions article where we all took a turn drafting. It was hell to put together. And I think we had multiple Raiders, like last team to get a win, or like maybe they only win one game all season. And they ended up winning seven games, which is great. It shows they're taking strides under John Gruden. But then you look at how they won those seven games, and there's a lot of red flags that scream regression is coming for them. They got outscored by 106 points. Only five teams had worse point differentials than the Oakland Raiders. They went seven and three in one-score games, which means every single game that they won came by eight points or less. And I think out of all those, there was only one eight-point game, which was in week one against the Broncos, if I recall correctly so they didn't win a single game by a comfortable margin that as we were just talking about with the chargers it puts your margin forever so slim and i thing is i actually like what they did this offseason i thought getting nick wikowski who i obviously watched a lot in chicago uh, and Corey littleton i thought that those were two good signings to beef up beef up their linebacker core had two first round picks it it comes down to the quarterbacks and i don't want to sound like a broken record because we always bash Derek carr on this podcast but I don't think they can win, go eight games, win eight games in a division with the Chiefs when the Broncos and Chargers both had pretty good off seasons with Derek Carr and Marcus Mariota. And I think we're probably going to see both of them at some point, but I don't think it's ever a good sign for a team if you're projecting a quarterback split because that means both of them aren't going to be that good. So I will take the under, and I, it's my favorite of the AFC West bets. They're a 5.3 win by projected win loss. I mean, it's pretty simple. They should not have done what they did. I, I like, I struggle with the, okay. I struggle with the Raiders because I know that, um, I have this like not real beef with the car brothers. Like they all blocked me. And so like, I, you know, we, we pump it up. It's not like, like, I don't think I would like walk in a room and dare car. I'd be like, maybe if I was like, I'm Will Brinson. He'd be like, Oh, but I don't think he'd be like, I don't think he sits around and is like, I, like, I hate the Prince, you know, like, I don't, like, I don't think he's, I don't think the car family's worried about me. They're over, overly sensitive. Um, but Raiders fans are bothered by this podcast because they don't hear us. They hear us being negative about the Raiders a lot. And, um, I like, I was, I think I was wrong about John Gruden coming back to coach. I think John Gruden is still a really good coach. I agree with that. Uh, offensively, he knows what he's doing. Paul Gunther's a good defensive coordinator. He hasn't been given everything he needs to do. They took over a a, a team that was in quasi-rebuild and they kicked all the good pieces to the curb except Derek Carr. Uh, the, you know, I think Mike Mayock is doing a good job with the draft. He hasn't nailed every pick he's had, but I mean, my goodness, Max Crosby a home run. You know, uh, like they had a run for, I was like in the fifth round or sixth yeah, round. Yeah. Yeah. Like if his first, if his early picks develop, they're, they're going to be really good. I just think that the problem with going seven and nine for the Raiders last year is that the, now the expectation, you know, a year after going four and 12 is you exponential growth and that you go like nine and seven or 10 and six. And I just don't think that's on the table. Even eight and eight feels like a stretch considering like they were really lucky to beat the bears in London. Uh, you know, they were really lucky to beat the Colts in, in week four. Um, they probably should, you know, they probably shouldn't have beaten the Broncos in week one. That really destroyed my entire season. Uh, they shouldn't have beat the Chargers in week 10. 
You know, they shouldn't have beat the Bengals in week 11. There's just so many close games that they came away as winners. I, I just have a hard time believing that they put it all together this year. And I, I like the addition of Henry Ruggs. I think, think he's going to be a stud. I don't know how he fits with Derek Carr. I think that is a viable concern that he is a deep threat. Now you can get him, you know, short stuff near the line of scrimmage. You can rip off big, big runs after a catch. Uh, I just don't think this team is here there, here yet. And I think we have fairly anecdotal data that when you move a city and you change a city, especially in a COVID-19 offseason, that it's going to create some havoc with how you handle things. And they're going to Vegas. Like, really? Like, again, as I said on the HQ show, if I move to Vegas in August, I'm going to be terrible at my job for the next four months because I'm in Vegas. I think something else to consider is that for as much crap as we give Derek Carr, statistically, he was actually pretty good. Yeah. Uh, even the advanced metrics like him. And, but the problem is that I don't he know play, if he can play 70% of his passes, 4,000 passing yards, 21 touchdowns, eight picks. I mean, like, right. But even with Derek Carr as one of the best versions of himself, they barely won seven games. And yeah. so the question becomes, do you think Derek, that was like the beginning of his ascent this late in his career? Or was that just like one of his outlier? He had a good season. Then he's going to drop off the career norms because I lean the latter. I don't know. Like, I think he could maybe have a similar type of season as he had a year ago. But the f- problem is he had that season and they still weren't very good. As you said, expected win total around five. So I don't think he's going to get that much better than he was a year ago, in part because he was already pretty good by his standards. Um, the, uh, let's see, where is the quote? Uh, I know that we're, I know that this podcast is going on for hours and hours, Devo, and I know you don't like it, but you know, Sean and I are having fun chatting. So, uh, I was, I was trying to find the quotes from Derek Carr to, um, to Vic Tafer of the athletic. It's a really interesting interview, I think, because, you know, he's asked about like Marcus Mariota. He's like, you know, he's like, I knew, like, you know, I talked to Gruden and those guys and he's like, and now, you know, he's just here to help. And, and obviously he's here to compete. We all know that this is football. That's everybody's job. Like Derek Carr is like trying to dispel the idea that Marcus Merida is coming in to, uh, to be the starter. They talked about, um, Tom Brady coming in and he, you know, he sort of, um, you know, he sort of is like, well, you know, like, you know, if, like you lose your job to Tom Brady. What are you going to do? And I, I tend to agree. The one that thing that was interesting was, uh, he's like, let's kick, this is Vic, let's kick the tires on this no PC car. Does it bother you that you have gotten a captain checkdown label these last three years? And Derek Carr says, yeah, man, what the heck? We watched some cutups today and we were throwing some bombs down the field. We're completing them at a high clip. Just because we don't throw 10 of them a game and only complete three of them, second and 10 is a lot different than second and three in the NFL. You know, I can tell you this, we have philosophies that we live by and that we're going to continue to live by. But at the same time, there's also times where I can see that I have Darren Waller on this 10-yard out. I could have thrown the go route. But we complete the 10-yard out and he got 16. Is it really worth risking the go route rather than the 16-yard gain and people freak out? I don't feel like that's what happens. Is that crazy? I don't feel like he's, like, ripping, like, 10-yard outs on the, like, 10-yard out route. I don't feel like that happens. That's a lot of uh, – who's well, who's the running back I'm blanking on? DeAndre Washington, a lot of him like coming out of the back. I, I, know, I, feel, later. I feel like a lot, like these, like the average depth of target is not 10 yards, you know, like there's a lot of yak for these guys. And maybe that's Gruden's system. I don't, I don't know. I just, for me, it, 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 it's like it's a big season for him and we'll see how he does. And I hope that he does well, but I will take the Raiders under. Finally, the Denver Broncos over under seven and a half wins over minus 120 under plus 110. Um, I think we're probably on the same page here. I was a year early on the Broncos, unfortunately. Yeah, and I don't feel good about 
taking the over, but I will. Um, because there's, I love their offseason. I love their draft. I think a lot of us probably gave them A's or A minuses, but you still are counting on a lot of young players to develop it. We, you know, you're, it's easy to look at a draft and say, oh, they crushed it. The fact of the matter is we have no idea how these guys are going to look, especially in year one, especially in this kind of environment in this offseason. But the reason I'm taking the over is I do like what I saw from Drew Locke in a very small sample size, and he's still an unknown. And again, that's one reason why I don't feel great about taking the over. But he went forward and was a starter on a team that was 3-8 and without him. He definitely elevated the team around him. Again, big question mark, not saying he's going to break out in a big way. The speed that they added, this was the draft that we thought the Packers should have had, right? And, you know, they had a, they had a star wide receiver in Cortland Sutton, like the Packers have in Devontae Adams. And what they did is they went out and they added even more deep threats and even more uh, speedy guys. Cortland Sutton is now the slowest wide receiver on this team, and he's one of the best deep threats in all of football, somewhere around 16 yards per catch. But the main reason why I like the over is because I think the defense is going to be really good. Most of that is Vic Fangio being there, uh, but they have two great edge rushers in Chubb and Von Miller. I, you know, getting rid of Chris Harris is not going to help, but I do think they rebounded in a decent way by getting AJ Bouye, where I believe for a fifth round pick, which was a really good deal given how productive he's been and right. giving up a fifth round pick. And that's, and I always bring this up and it's because I'm a Bears homer, but the Bryce Callahan signing a year ago, I thought was really good. And Bryce Callahan just wasn't healthy over the course of the entire season. If he is healthy and you get A.J. Bouye playing at his peak, I think that secondary could be one of the best in football with that pass rush as well. So, I, I mean, I think they need a couple breaks to go their way. They need the rookies to pan out, and they need Drew Locke to pan out. But I would rather have the over than the under. And I think them or the Chargers are probably the second-best team in the division. Um, and they are one of the only teams that I think can beat the Chiefs at home simply because of their home field advantage. I agree with uh, what you just said, and I think that if you look at Denver, they were a you know they're, they they basically equaled out to their Pythagorean theorem in terms of in terms of wins, um, but you know they lost. Uh, let's see, they beat the they beat up on the Texans. I'm trying to think where they're. Oh, they lost that they Bears. Lost. That Bears game was a crazy loss. No, but I'm saying like their point differential. They went to Buffalo and lost twenty to three in a. I think that was a was that a snow game. The Chiefs game was a snow game. They lost 20. I would say they, like, if you look at their point differential, it's like largely accumulated in three games. One at Buffalo where they lost by 17 points, uh, at Kansas City where they lost by 20 points, and then at home against Kansas City where they lost by 24 points. Like that skewed their point differential where it makes it look like they should have been a seven win team. But the Bears in week two, the Raiders they could have beaten week one, the Bears in week two, the Jaguars in week four, um, you know, they had a ton of close games that they lost. The Colts in week eight was a crazy one too, where it's like, you know, kicks and, and all that go down and they win. So to me, it basically comes down to Drew Lock. If Drew Lock takes a step forward and it, and becomes like something in the top 15 to 20 range in terms of quarterbacks and is an average, average to above average quarterback in the second year, this is an eight or nine or 10 win team. And I, to, they're, they're getting, they're getting above 500. They have a ton of talent on both sides of the ball. John, uh, John Elway we, gets bashed a lot, has done a good job rebuilding this roster. The wide receiver, the pass catchers, I mean, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, KJ Hamler, and, and, uh, and Noah Fant. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah, and, it's young. It's young, but it's awesome. And we didn't like the Melvin Gordon signing just from a financial long-term standpoint. But I, I do think he makes the offense better. You know, if you're just going to look at next year in a vacuum and not worry about the d- details of the financials, 
I do think he will help Drew Locke because I think it wouldn't surprise me, even though they have all this speed, if this is a really run heavy team that then banks on play action to get Drew Locke some easy, you know, easy reads and then to take deep shots downfield. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's gonna be a good team. Um Odds wise, uh, as we mentioned, the sort of, sort of, uh, skewed a little bit, right? The Chiefs are minus 450 to win the division. That's a pretty, I mean, if you want to tie up $450 to win a hundred, you know, go for it. You're probably getting your money back. Like you're probably going to win the hundred bucks, but you got to, you know, there are better ways to deposit your money. Um, the Raiders plus eight, uh, eight and a half to one to win the division. Chargers 10 to one, Broncos 10 to one. I don't see any value with either. Like I need, if you gave me 25 to one of the Broncos, I'd consider it. Or like twenty five to one of the Chargers, I might consider it. But ten to one is, is not nearly enough, and the Chiefs are minus four fifty. Uh, the Raiders fifteen to one to win the AFC. Chiefs two to one. Chargers twelve to one. Broncos twenty five to one to win the AFC, and then Broncos fifty to one to win the Super Bowl. Raiders thirty. Chargers twenty five, and Chiefs four to one. I know you like the Chiefs four to one to win the Super Bowl, but like, there's two- I don't. I don't like any of these, and I don't like any of the AFC West bets because you're banking on the Chiefs having. A disaster year in terms of injury. Like that's probably Mahomes missing the full season if you're banking on another team winning, uh, the division. I don't like the AFC bets for any of the other three teams because it's not just the Chiefs. It's also the Ravens you got to get past. And I think, well, and I think the Colts gonna, are going to, but if you're going to bet on the, like taking the Chiefs at two to one to win the AFC is just stupid yes. because you can just bet on the Chiefs if they play the Ravens in the AFC championship game. Just right. bet the money line. I mean, like worst case scenario, it's in Kansas City and they're, like minus one thirty. I mean, a two to one is just not nearly enough for the Chiefs to to win the division. And I don't. We look at the Super Bowl odds, twenty five to one. I just don't see any path the Chargers are winning a Super Bowl. Like I can see them making the playoffs. I can make an argument for that. They're not winning how many playoff games on the road that's going to be required. A, a team with seven and a half wins, a win total of seven and a half, should not be twenty five to one to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, like yeah, I, Vegas is saying, we think they're a five hundred team. They're twenty five to one. I don't like the Broncos at 50 to one, but that is the only Super Bowl like odds that I could talk myself into as a good long shot because true luck is such an unknown that if he does take that huge leap with that defense, then you can talk yourself. And if they were, if they were to somehow get a home playoff game or home playoff games, plural, that's a really hard place to go into January. Like Tom Brady struggled doing that against Von Miller and those defenses, but I can't talk myself into most teams in the AFC with the Chiefs and the Ravens there. And you're just not going to get good enough odds on the Chiefs or the Ravens. All right. I agree with you. We're uh, we're sort of in lockstep on this one. That's the AFC West, AFC West podcast. It's a long one, but you got a Friday full of uh, time to listen to it. And we will be back on Monday with the mailbag. If you want to leave uh, mailbag questions, go to Apple Podcasts and drop them in there. Thanks, as always, for listening. Uh, Sean, thanks, buddy. Talk soon. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.